0: Well, you've heard the scripture read. I'm going to take off in a minute, but let me, um, let me first give you a couple of, just give you a good word from yesterday. We, uh, if you were here last week, you will know that uh, this yesterday, Saturday, was the launch of uh, Manna Church, the new form or fresh expression of church over at uh, Mana House, and uh, Tanya and Justin Kelly are leading that. Uh, Justin led the worship, and Tanya preached and talked about her own story and grace. And at the end, um, Carrie, my wife, just happened to be sitting uh, next to a young lady named Dolores, who for the first time in her life uh, prayed to become a follower of Jesus. And it was just a great beginning to Mana Church. Several of you were there as volunteers, and I'm grateful for that. And um, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that is Willing to do things beyond our walls and beyond our traditions for people who are highly unlikely ever to walk uh, through the doors of this church or any other established church. So thank you for being who you are. A few weeks ago, it was Easter Sunday. I'm pretty sure I uh, I made a big uh, mistake. I um, I mistakenly said that uh, you know Superman was one of the Avengers, and a uh, a small firestorm uh, broke out from that. Johnny Kirk said the only thing that I could have done worse was to mix up the, the cast of Star Trek and Star Wars. He said that he would have probably rushed the platform had I, had I done that. I'm going to venture off now into another movie I know nothing about, uh, The Matrix. There are three of those. I've never seen any of those. I'm afraid I wouldn't understand them, so I haven't seen them, but, but I did see a quote from. The Matrix Reloaded, one of those three that I found intriguing. Neo is apparently the, the main character in The Matrix. And he asks the Oracle, another primary character in the, in the Matrix, What are you here for? And why do you help me? The Oracle answered, We're all here to do what we're all here to do. Now that's deep and profound. We're all here to do what we're all here to do. Well, you're here to do something. We're all here to do something. You're here to do something. What are you here to do? And are you? Are you doing it? I believe that uh, you have a a God-given job in the world. I believe you have a God-given job in the world. David, we heard a moment ago, of David it was written, David served God's purposes in his own generation. And Jesus prayed to the Father, I have glorified you, I've reflected well on you because I have completed the work you gave me to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful near the end of life's journey on earth if we were to given, be given the opportunity to pause for a moment just before we step into eternity? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were given the opportunity to pause and turn around to say, I have served to the best of my abilities. I, to the best of my abilities, I have served God's purposes for me in my generation. And wouldn't it be wonderful if just before we step into eternity, if we were given the opportunity to turn around and look back just for a moment, wouldn't it be wonderful to pray, Father, I have glorified you, meaning I have reflected well on you. I've made you look as good as I could. And I've completed the work that you gave me to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful to look back just for a moment just before we step into eternity? If, if, if we're given the opportunity to pause and turn around and look back just for a brief moment, wouldn't it be wonderful to say, I know what I was here to do and I did what I was here to do. I believe you have a God-given job on earth." Leonard Sweet told of a cancer clinic in Europe where the physicians won't treat the cancer victims until they say this, you must tell me your mission. Why is it that you must live specifically? What must you accomplish? Apparently, they believe there's nothing they can do for the patient until the patient knows what they're here for. Greg Powell is a good friend of mine. We went to Sanford together. He's a financial advisor down in Birmingham, has been recognized for his good work widely. We had lunch, and he told me the key to his success. He said, I won't talk about anybody's money until they answer the following questions. What is your mission? What is your passion? What do you really want to do in life? What do you want your legacy to be? You are here to do what you are here to do. Get out your bulletins and look in the middle panel. There's a long quote there. I want you to follow with me. It's, it's there. The, 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 the music is on the left side and the, the order of worship in the middle panel under sermon notes. It's a long quote by a man named Richard Bowles who wrote, he was an Episcopal minister who kept, people kept asking him about vocation. And so every year they publish this This book, it's redone every year, new edition every year. What color is your parachute? The back of the book, the the thing about your life mission is worth the price of the book, and here's what he says. Your life mission is A, to exercise that talent which you particularly came to earth to use, your greatest gift which which you most delight to use. B, in the place or places or setting or settings which God has caused to appeal to you the most. Let me pull over for a moment and park and talk about that. When your Creator strung together the DNA that made you, you, and your mother's wombs, He implanted in that DNA particular gifts and particular passions. And He will call you to do what He wired you to do. He implanted in you the passions for certain things and the gifts to do certain things. And when He calls you to do certain things, He will call you. Into those things, down at Chaco Springs in Talladega, some of you been there, Baptist camp in Talladega, my first job, I was sixteen years old, working there on the ground 's crew one night, a missionary from Africa had us out on the patio and was talking to us the staffers and He said, I know some of you pray God call me to anything except to be a missionary in Africa. He said, you know, I can tell you if God calls you to be a missionary in Africa, it'll be wonderful for you. God doesn't want you, he said, God doesn't want you to be miserable. He will call you to things that you find attractive and appealing and life that is abundant. And I believe that. I think Bowles is right, that your life mission is to... To use your greatest gift and in the places or settings which God has caused to appeal to you the most. And see. And for the purposes, those purposes which God most needs to have done in the world. This is important. This is not just about you. This is not just about your personalized, privatized specialized, individualized, glamorized, romanticized mission in life. It is about you and me finding our place in God's mission in the world. Now, you do have a personalized, individualized place in that mission. But it's not about you and me. It's about finding what is my place in God's mission uh, to the world. Of David, it it was said he fulfilled God's purposes in his generation. Jesus said, I have completed the work you gave me to do. It's not about us, but, but we do have a place in the mission to the world, and that's what God created you for. That's what you're here to do. We're all here to do what we're all here to do. What are you here to do? I believe God has given you a, a job, a role, a plan, and I believe you can know that plan. I believe you can know what you're here to do. God inspired Paul to write in Ephesians 5, you heard it read a moment ago, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Maybe you're at the beginning of your career and you're wondering, what am I supposed to do as a vocation? Maybe, maybe you're at the end of your career, you're at the volunteer stage of your career and you're wondering, where should I volunteer? Maybe you're mid-career considering a career change and you're understandably apprehensive. There's a sense of uncertainty, and you're wondering, what, or should I do this? Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with career. Maybe it's, maybe it's a dilemma you're facing. Maybe you're at a crossroads and you're wondering, what am I to do? Maybe it's a relational dilemma, a, a conundrum. What am I supposed to do? After the 815 service, one of our young ladies came up and said, I thank you for that sermon. We've been wondering whether we should Move, we had this opportunity to move uh, to Virginia, and, and in a minute I'm going to mention Roanoke, Virginia. She said, you mentioned Roanoke, and you mentioned being courageous, and we — and I believe that that's what we're supposed to do. Let me clarify things. If you think what I'm saying is telling you to move anywhere, that is not the will of God for you. You're supposed to stay here. God is not calling anybody to leave. Now, if you're visiting here and you're thinking about moving to Huntsville, God is calling you. I can tell you God is calling you to Huntsville. I believe God has a job for you and I believe you can know it because I believe God speaks. God inspired Isaiah to write, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And Jesus said, the shepherd speaks to his sheep individually and by name, and they hear his voice, and he leads them, and they follow him. It isn't easy to discern the voice of God. I know that. Charles Poole said, it's like driving down the interstate when you're listening to your AM or FM radio, and you're listening to something you love, and then the signal gets weak, and you turn the knob up, and you lean in, and you listen. It happens to me every day when I'm headed over the mountain toward Owen's Crossroads. Inevitably, I'll be listening to something I really like on NPR or ESPN or or, uh, country music or something, and I'll get just on the other side of the mountain. the signal will begin to fade and I turn the knob up and I'll lean in because I want to hear. Hearing the voice of God is a little bit like that. It gets staticky and it fades because we are imperfect receivers. But I believe you can hear. We don't have to be paralyzed. I believe we can know what we need to know when we need to know it. I believe we can have a sense of rightness, of I-, I believe we can hear, I believe the Spirit of God who descended at Pentecost still speaks to his people. God speaks when we don't, we don't, when we don't stipulate what we will and will not do. When we pray and we say, Lord, I want your will but by the way, here's what I won't do, and here's what I will do, and here's where I will go, and here's where I won't go, and here's what I'll, who, who I'll do it with and who I won't do it with. I'm not sure God speaks then. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, and then you'll know what is the perfect and pleasing will of God. When we lay our dreams and our plans on the altar and pray prayers that are open-ended, then I believe God speaks. When we pray the prayer that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, not my will but yours, I believe when we pray open-ended prayers like that, that God speaks. I believe you have a place and a job and a mission, and I believe you can know that because I believe God speaks. I believe God speaks, though, when we don't stipulate what we will and will not do, and when the relationship is intimate and personal. I believe God speaks when our relationship with Him is intimate and personal. If one of our children, one of our sons or our daughter were tomorrow to face a big decision and if they were to want to know what I would want for them, which is highly unlikely, but if they were, then, then they could call me and ask. But before they called, they would almost certainly know because they know me. They know my nature. They know my character. They, know my desires, they know my preferences, they would know me. If you're at a crossroads, if you're making a big decision, you can hear the voice of God. So nurture — but you got to nurture the relationship, so pray uh, unceasingly, fast. We've talked about that before. Skip lunch, Monday through Friday, and when you would be — when you would be eating, just pull aside alone and, and pray, and maybe you want to have breakfast and skip lunch and dinner and then break your fast with breakfast the next morning. That's where that word comes from. And when you would be, have been eating, you say, God, I'm desperate for wisdom. And by, by doing without this, I'm pleading for your wisdom. And if you cannot physically do without a meal, then do without something that's important to you to say, God, I'm desperate and I want to demonstrate it by this self-sacrifice. So pray without ceasing and, and fast and practice solitude. Pull aside alone. God does not speak. He does not yell to people who are too busy to slow down. He whispers to people who are willing to be quiet and still. Pray without ceasing, fast, practice solitude. Open the Bible. Years ago we were living in Mount Washington, Kentucky, and we were in conversation with the pastor search team at B- B- Bonair Baptist Church in Richmond, and we were headed up for the — what we call the trial weekend, and so it was time to tell our kids. Our daughter was 14 and she had a boyfriend that she was sure was the love of her life, and, so when we sat the kids down and said, "Guys, look, this weekend we're going up to Richmond, and, and if, if Daddy doesn't blow it, then you know we're all we're gonna we're gonna move to Richmond, Virginia." Brennan cried. It was traumatic. Of course, it was. Two mornings later at breakfast, Brennan showed up with an announcement. She said, "Last night I was reading my my Bible, doing my devotion." And she said, I read that story of Job, where God said, Job, I want you to leave your people and your family and go to another country. I said, might that have been Abraham? Whatever, she said. (laughs) But then she said, I think maybe that was a sign that we're supposed to go to Richmond. That's pretty cool. I've never opened the Bible and saying, Travis, this is what you're supposed to do. But we read examples, we read principles, and when we read, the Spirit of God speaks. I believe you have a place in the world, a God-given plan for you. I believe you can know it because I believe God speaks, and I believe He speaks when we don't add stipulations to our prayers and when our relationship with Him is intimate and personal. And it is never too late to get in on the rest of God's plan for you. Some of you are thinking, Travis, I've never prayed that prayer. I've never prayed and fasted and never been in solitude to, to pray. And I'm not really a great student of the Scriptures, and so it's too late for me. Of course it's not. It's never too late to get in on the rest of God's plan for you. You, you have missed opportunities. All of us have. But it's never too late to get in on the rest of the plan. We're all here to do what we're all here to do, what God created us to do. You are, and I am, all of us are. And I believe you can know that. I I believe that it's mysterious, certainly, whenever a a sinful, finite human wants to know what is the mind of the holy, infinite creator of the universe. Of course, of course that's mysterious. But I believe we can know because I believe he speaks. He speaks. That that when you come to the crossroads, you will hear this voice that says, this is the way, uh, walk in it. And I believe he speaks when we don't add stipulations to our prayers and when our relationship is is intimate and personal. And it's never too late. It's never too late to get in on the rest of, of God's plan for you. But you're going to have to be courageous. Wanda Lee is a name known around here. She was the executive director of a woman's missionary union for years. She wrote that a fellow leader asked her once, Wanda, may I pray for you? And if so, what exactly, what specifically may I pray? She said, pray for wisdom by making big decisions. He said, I'd be glad to, but may I expand that prayer a bit? He said, I have found that all the wisdom in the world is of no good to me unless I'm Courageous enough to do it, and so she said I've expanded my prayer when I pray for wisdom I also pray God make me wise enough to know the right thing and When the time is right the courage enough to do it There used to be a t-shirt with a message you can't steal second with your foot on first You got to venture out a little bit you got to risk a little bit and it will require courage but you're here to do something not just to take up space I believe you can know what that is you're here to do because I believe God speaks to you if you will pray without stipulations open-ended prayers and if you'll nurture that relationship so that it's personal and intimate and if you'll be courageous it's never too late to get in on the rest of God's plan for you this week We celebrated one of the most important dates, I believe, in American history, June 6, 1944. We celebrated the 75th anniversary of D-Day. 150,000 American, British, and Canadian soldiers braved the English Channel, rough as it was, headed into what they knew would be a wartime hell. 4,000 Allied soldiers died that day, 2,500 of them American soldiers, 2,500 bodies on the beaches and cliffs of Normandy, France. I've been to the D-Day Memorial in Bedford, Virginia. The D-Day Memorial is in Bedford because that little town of Bedford lost per capita more more young men than anybody in the country. Nineteen American soldier boys died on D-Day from Bedford. At a service at the D-Day Memorial, April Cheek Messier spoke to a crowd that included a scattering of of old men who on June 6, 1944 were young brave warriors, and she spoke of their courage in exercising, and I'm quoting her now, what you believed to be nothing less than your duty. Just before the men left England, General Dwight D. Eisenhower said this, among other things, I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. This week, Army veteran Vito Mastrangelo, an American soldier, thought back to when he was 20 years old on June 6, 1944. His group of 25 soldiers had the responsibility of recovering bodies. Twenty-five of them recovered — there were others doing that, too. Twenty-five of them recovered 500 bodies of dead American soldiers. He spoke, and I'm quoting him now, of his difficult duty. The official proclamation on the National Day of Remembrance of the 75th anniversary of D-Day spoke of those young men's, and I'm quoting again, gallantry and dedication to duty. The recurring theme of D-Day seems to have been duty. I encourage you to engage in an experiment, Google stories about D-Day, and underline or highlight every time you see the word, duty, boys, some of them. Getting off those troop transport boats, marching into a rain of fire and And they kept going, frightened out of their minds, of course, over their heads, of course, obstacles beyond what they could do, of course, but they would have said, we're all here to do what we're all here to do. And they understood a word that seems to have lost popularity in our culture the word duty. You have a duty. Overwhelmed, I'm sure. Frightened, I'm certain. Over your head, of course. But Everybody here has a duty to find your place in the creator of the world's mission uh, to the world. And you're never going to find life in its abundance until you find that place, and there's going to be a missing place on the battlefield until you find that place, and I believe you can know that place because I believe God still speaks to those who don't add stipulations to their prayers and for whom the relationship is intimate and personal it's never too late, don't, don't forget this, it's never too late to get in on the rest of God's plan for you. If you'll only be courageous enough to fulfill your God-given duty. 231 is the hymn that we're going to sing.